the movie series, and this is our last um, session. And I don't know about you guys, I thought they've all been awesome, right? You guys had a good time? I'm so grateful we go to a church that likes to have fun, right? But how many of you guys miss our pastor? Yeah? It's been about time now. He hasn't been up here in a while, so I'm excited for next week. But before we get started, I want to give you a few announcements. So next week, we actually are going to do our move up. So if you have kids that are in our eKids program, I want you to come. If you are teachers, I want you to come because we do something special for all of our kids who are in kinder, who are about to move into our eKids, and then we do something also special for our sixth graders who are about to move into our Elevate Nights. And I want to encourage you, if you have one of those sixth graders and you're thinking, oh my gosh, my kid is not ready for this, there's a bunch of teenagers, our Elevate Nights is amazing. Amazing. My daughter goes every single Friday without fail, and it is a huge blessing. So if you have that shy kid who's digging their heels in, be that parent and make them go because they're not going to regret it. It's going to be good. So that's next week. Also, we have a back to school outreach and that is on the 12th. And what we're going to do is we are going to give away backpacks. We love our community. We love the community orange, but we don't want to just say it, right? You want to show them. So this is a time for us to be able to show our community our love for them by giving these kids backpacks who are in need, kids in need, backpacks, shoes. They're going to be full of supplies. We're gonna have haircuts. We also have Adrian Harris is gonna be doing a BMX show. So it's gonna be real awesome. And the cool thing is, if you know somebody who's in need, maybe you have a neighbor, you have a relative, you know somebody who is financially struggling and they have kids, you don't have to do anything. You just gotta bring them. You just gotta show up. Bring them and get in line. It's actually gonna be from 12 to two. It's first come, first serve, so make sure you're there on time. Bring them with you so that we can bless them, we can love on them. Now, maybe you don't have any kids and you're like, oh, I don't need to go to this. You do, go to it because we need volunteers and we need you guys to be that smiling face to love on these people. Maybe they've never been to church. And this is our opportunity to do that. So I want to encourage you. The 12th is our backpack outreach at 12 p.m. I will be there, and I hope to see you there too. Also, we have a lot of fun stuff going on this month. We also have a beach day on the 19th. So just keep an eye out on the Elevate app. Keep an eye out online because we're going to give you more details to follow. And um, I'm, also, we have a giving box in the back. So if you want to give, there's a box in the back that lights up. You can also text to give. You can scan to give. There's many ways to give. And I just want to encourage you because it brings nothing but blessing upon your life. But with that, we're going to go ahead and get started. And we'll go ahead and go into the first scene. All right, so first of all, let me begin with telling you, this is one of my most favorite movies of all time. I believe it's a wonderful parallel to the adventurous life that God has called us to live. It's full of love, it's got trials, it's got laughter, it's got victories. Hopefully you're familiar with this movie. How many of you guys have seen The Princess Bride? Raise your hand if you've seen Oh, good, it's not many of you, that's okay. I'm gonna try to fill you in on the little parts and hopefully by the time you leave, you're gonna wanna go home and watch it. I think you will, I think you will. So this movie begins with a grandfather telling his grandson he's got a story to tell him. Now the grandson, immediately rolls his eyes. He's like, I got a gift? Yes, I got a gift. He opens it up and he's like, it's a book. You brought me a book, great, I'm sick, and now my grandpa has to sit here and read me a book. But anyways, he listens to it, and all of a sudden, he's drawn into this exciting tale. And it's funny, because it kind of reminds me of how the devil deceives people into thinking that Christianity is some boring, mundane life. But anyone who's actually really lived it, like really lived for the Lord, knows it's probably one of the most exciting lives to be lived. 
Romans 8, 15 through 17 says it like this. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we will certainly go through the good times with them. He has called us to live a life of adventure. Now, what is an adventure? It's defined, as a, it's defined as an exciting experience or an undertaking that is typically bold. And guess what? It's sometimes a little bit risky. And this is how God has intended us to live. If our Christian walk becomes you know, boring or mundane, it's because we make it so. And what are the reasons? Maybe it could be out of religion. Maybe because we're just living it out of religion, like Paul talks about. Or it could be fear. Maybe fear of the unknown fear of failure or rejection, or maybe it's complacency. You know, you're comfortable. I don't wanna go out and, and do something new, you know? It's gonna get me off my couch and out of my warm, comfortable home. I've been there before. But the funny thing is some of us lived way more adventurous lives, but not in a good way before we were saved. And then after we give our lives to the Lord, we become afraid of anything new or anything involves risk. But this is not the way that God has called us to live. We are to live as what Jesus lives. And there was not a more adventurous person on this planet. Romans 8 says we go through the same things that Christ did. What did he do? He healed the sick. He challenged the religious. He made disciples and good friends out of some of the most difficult of people. People. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He fed the multitudes physically and spiritually. He calmed storms. He walked on water and so much more. In John 21 through 25, the Bible says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. The impact that he made in three short years has changed history and eternity forever. He could never have done that just by playing it safe, right? He's called us to live this life full of adventures. And what does any good adventure story have? True love. I mean, in my book, it's got to have true love, right? Ladies, got to represent today. No more. I mean, these guy movies are great, but we got to get some... We gotta get some true love in here. Trials, tribulations, strong characters, right? They're often flawed, but you kind of fall in love with them because they grow throughout the story. Losses, victories, friendships, enemies, and of course, it's gotta be funny, all right? I love a good comedy. It's gotta have joy, right? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna break up this movie into a few different parts, this adventure, and we're gonna parallel it with our walk with God. Can we have some fun this morning? Yeah? Okay, so we'll go into our next scene. <laughs> is this a kissing movie? <laughs> yeah, thinks his grandpa's trying to trick him. I love this because the beginning of the movie begins with true love awakened. Wesley, he's a farm boy, right? He's, he's working for this young maiden. He, she's his boss and she loves it. She loves telling him, get this, get that, get this, just kind of ordering him around. She likes being the boss, ladies. We got that in us. Sometimes it, you know, it comes, it comes with the territory. So she likes doing that and she's ordering him around and every day he responds with as you wish. Now, just a side note. Fellas, you want to win some brownie points with a wife, John? Next time she asks you to take out the trash, do it. Smoldering look in your eyes as you wish. Yeah, next time, go pick up some milk for the store. Respond back as you trust me. You don't believe me. You'll get some brownie points, all right? But anyway, so she's going throughout her life every day, ordering this farm boy around. And then one day she realizes that all the time he's saying, as you wish, all of a sudden, like a light bulb, ding, he loves me. Oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden she realizes, 
I love him. And then they go kiss in the sunset like a true 80s movie, as it should be. You know, I was 13 years old when true love was awakened in my life. I was a broken young girl who I believed I was very little importance to anyone. And then I heard the message of the gospel and I'd heard it many times before and all of a sudden it became real to me. How many of you guys were kind of like Princess Buttercup at some point? Totally unaware of the God who loved you, oblivious to his advances and him being the gentleman that he is, he didn't force himself on you, but he waited patiently for true love to be awakened in you. God's love was always there, just like this scene right there, just like Princess Buttercup, unaware of the truest love waiting to be awakened. But once my eyes were opened, oh boy, did I fall. You know, I came to live with my dad when I was um, 12 years old. My mom, I hadn't, did not know him at all. He was a pastor in Costa Mesa. And my mom made the best decision of her life when she decided kind of, I don't really wanna be a mom right now. This is too hard. And she sent me to live with my dad. I was very upset at her at the time because I didn't understand. I felt kind of rejected. But I realized it was the Lord's plan for my life. But for a whole year, I went to church. My dad was a pastor. And for a whole year, I, you know, listened to the messages. I served in the Sunday school. I helped wherever I needed to, but it was, there was nothing there yet. You know what I mean? I even went on outreaches. I passed out flyers, but then one day we had a youth, um, it was like a youth, I don't even know, like a missions trip to Oregon. And my dad told me I was going to go when I was 13. I was extremely shy. I know I tell people that and they never believe me, but I swear it's true. (laughs) I'll show you some pictures one day, but I was extremely introverted, very, very shy, insecure. And I was so upset at my dad because I was like, you're making me go. I didn't know anyone hardly, you know, only the people that like felt like they had to be nice to me because my dad was a pastor. (laughs) So it was like very awkward. And I I did not want to go. I was upset at him. And I remember I went and I was having a good time. I had made a few friends and we went to this skate park and I, we were passing out flyers, inviting these people to church. And I remember there was this skater kid and he was cute. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna invite you to church. You're cute, you know, kind of thing. And so I did, I invited him and he came and I was like, oh, he's here. But I remember the message was going on. He was sitting next to me in the service and the message was so random. Like I just, I, it was probably a great message, but I was too interested in the boy next to me. But I do remember that one of the guys, Earl, came out wrapped up in toilet paper and he was dressed as Lazarus. And I remember Adam was like, Pastor Adam was like, Lazarus, come out of there. And he hopped out and the toilet paper's like falling out off of him or whatever. And the toilet paper roll's still connected. And it was crazy. But I remember he did this altar call after at the end and I felt like my heart was gonna jump out of my chest. And I did not care who saw me. I looked at that boy and I was like, this stupid boy, I have no interest in him anymore. And I just had to run up there because I knew, oh my God, God is real. Not only is he real, does he love me? And I, I had to do, I had to do it. I had to get up there. So I did, I went up and I got saved and I fell in love, instantly in love with a savior that loved me at my worst and saved me from my sin. And I realized that there's no truer love than the love of God. 1 John 4, 16 through 17 says, we know how much God loves us and we put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Immediately things were different for me. Nothing mattered more than God's opinion. I wanted to know his word and I wanted to know him. I wanted to serve him. My life was instantly transformed. I had like all of a sudden this hunger for the word of God. I remember I would literally get mad at my dad about things that were in the Bible. And that sounds really weird, but I would read it and I would come to him and I'd be like, why does it say this? It, did you see what this says? You know, it says women should put covers over their head and all this kind of stuff. And he was like, babe, this was the 
culture. This was the time that they lived in. And he would explain it to me and we would have these discussions and I would take my dog on these long walks just to pray and get to know the Lord. It was a really special time in my life and it literally changed me from the inside out. Second Corinthians 5, 17 kind of explains it. It says, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Is there anyone in this place who's experienced this transformation, right? You know, it's a miracle. It's hard to explain, but it's an absolute miracle. The world, right, Hollywood, they think, that they know about love, right? But it's only a superficial version of the real thing. There is no truer love than the love that God has for us. And ultimately, that's what this whole movie is about. It's about Wesley going through many trials, many obstacles to get to his one true love. So for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm gonna kind of give you a little summary of what's gonna happen before our next scene. So Princess Buttercup finds her true love and you think, Right, it'd be so boring, right? If they were like, and they live happily ever after, right? It'd be like a five minute movie, all right? But that's not what happens. Wesley sails away on his ship to make his fortune so he can marry her, guys. Gotta get a job. You, gotta, you, just, you just gotta do it. I'm not saying get on a ship and sail away, but you know, you get married, you gotta take care of her, right? So he does, he leaves so he can make some money. All of a sudden, she gets word that he's dead. Okay, and then, he's, and then three or four years go by and she is chosen by Prince Humperdinck, he's the prince of the land, to be his bride. Now, pretty much how it works is he gets to pick any lady that he likes, as long as she's not married. So she doesn't love him, but she's kind of forced into this stuck marriage. Then one day when she's out riding her horse, she's kidnapped by three bandits. Now, these bandits were actually hired by Prince Humperdinck because he doesn't really wanna marry her. He actually wants to murder her and he wants to start a war. So soon the bandits find a man, they take her, they throw her in a boat, they're sailing away and all of a sudden they turn around and there's a man in the mask following them behind them in another boat. And that's where our next scene begins. So in this scene, Fezzik the giant carries Indigo, Princess Buttercup, Vincini up the Cliffs of Insanity. And because it's a very difficult way, they're pretty sure that no one is gonna follow them. Now, keep in mind, it's not the only way. They could take a couple hours, it'd be taking them a little bit longer, but a couple hours they could sail around and they can get there. And you'll see later on, that's how the prince gets there. Um, but all of a sudden, to their dismay, the man in the mask starts following them. There's always another route, but they choose the more difficult one, one that seemed almost insane to attempt, hence the name, Cliffs of Insanity. But instead of looking at them and giving up, he tackled it head on and he goes behind them. Sometimes in our walk with God, he's gonna put something on your heart that is completely insane to the world, sometimes insane to your own mind, maybe your friends, your family. He might put difficult things in your heart to do, but don't let their size and their sacrifice scare you because they are monumental moments in your life that God can use to build character within you. And it kind of reminds me of a story in the Bible in 1 Samuel 14. I'm gonna go ahead and read through the portion. You guys can follow along with me on the screen. Later that day, Jonathan, Saul's son, said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to the Philistine garrison patrol on the other side of the pass. But he didn't tell his father. Meanwhile, Saul, the king, was taking it easy under the pomegranate tree at the threshing floor on the edge of Gibeah. There were about 600 men with him. Ahijah, wearing the priestly ephod, was also there. No one knew that Jonathan had gone off. The pass that Jonathan was planning to cross was over to the Philistine garrison. It was flanked on either side by sharp rock outcroppings, cliffs named Bozes and Sinna. The cliff to the north faced Michmash, the cliff to the south faced Gibba. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on now, let's go across to these uncircumcised pagans. Maybe God will work for us. There's no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saying, saving what he sets his mind to it. His armor bearer said, go ahead 
Do what you think is best. I'm with you all the way. And Jonathan said, here's what we'll do. We'll cross over the pass and let the man see we're there. If they say, halt, don't move until we check you out, we'll stay put and not go up. But if they say, come on up, we'll go right up. And we know that God has given them to us. And that will be our sign. So they did it, the two of them. They stepped out into the open where they could be seen by the Philistine garrison. And the Philistines shouted, Look at that. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then they yelled down at Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up here. We got a thing or two to show you. Jonathan shouted to his armor bearer, up, follow me. God has turned them over to us. So Jonathan scrambled up on all fours. So you can imagine he's climbing up and he had to get up on all fours, just like those cliffs of insanity. His armor bearer right on his heels. When the Philistines came running up to them, he knocked them flat. His armor bearer right behind them, finishing them off, bashing their heads in with stones. In this first bloody encounter, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed about 20 men. They set off a terrific upheaval in both camp and field, and the soldiers in the garrison and the raiding squad were badly shaken up, and the ground itself shuddering, panic like you've never seen before. And what happened is that they ended up defeating the Philistine army because of the decision that Jonathan had made that day. The truth of the matter is Jonathan did not have to do that. He was the king's son. He had rights to the king's son. He probably didn't even have to be on that battle. It was difficult, right? It was dangerous, and I'm sure God could have defeated the army in so many other ways. But for some reason, God had put a challenge within Jonathan's heart, and no matter how insane and crazy it looked, he had to respond. I'm certain that the experience on those cliffs had built Jonathan's faith and prepared him for things that he was gonna later face in his future. You know, when I was saved, it literally changed the direction of my life. Not only did I wanna know God more, I wanted to serve him, and I felt this deep call within me to share the love of Jesus within me. And I remember... Um, being at a youth conference and I don't even know what happened. I just know there was an altar call and I just felt like I wanted to go on missions. And at that time, Pastor Adam was our youth leader and he was crazy. Now I say crazy, but I say crazy in a good way. Like we went to all, like all over the world with some of the craziest kids. Like our kids and our youth are really chill right now compared to the kids that we had there before. But I remember them going all over and I thought, I want to do that. I want to do that. But when God had put it upon my heart, there was nothing coming up. There was no trip or nothing. And I just felt like I needed to go. Like I need to go now. Like this is on my heart. I'm about to graduate high school. I need to do this now. And I remember I talked to Pastor Carl, my dad, and they were like, awesome, go for it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> no. You know, when you got something, you're excited, you're waiting for someone to shoot you down, and no, they're like, do it. So in, in my mind, I'm an extremely shy girl, but I felt like, you know what, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to help out the schools. There's a lot of schools in Africa. So I thought, I'm going to do something within my comfort zone. I can totally do that. I can love on some children. I can go help out. I can volunteer, whatever they need. You know, I'll do it. And so that's kind of what I thought it was going to be like. And I had also a plan for two other girls to go with me. Well, one of the girls bailed out, then another girl bailed out, but I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do it. And I remember Pastor Carl warning me, you know, hey, just prepare yourself, you've never been to another country. And I had been to Mexico, so I'm thinking, I've been to Mexico, I kinda get it, you know what I mean? But I kind of tried to prepare myself, you know, mentally for it. But the first thing that happened to me when I got stuck, so I flew over and I got stuck in Germany, is I was struck with an incredible anxiety and fear like I had never felt before. Like I was so afraid. I remember 
the plane getting stuck. And I was like, oh my gosh, because I never met them in Ghana. I'd never been out of the country. I didn't know what Pastor Victoria and Frank looked like. They didn't know me. And I'm thinking, they're waiting for me at the airport today and I'm gonna show up. And I've heard that it's a crazy airport. Like they warned me, hey, people are trying to grab your bags. Don't let anyone take your bags, just go straight. And so I'm all like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get there. No one's gonna be there. I don't have their phone number. I don't have any of their, do they have phones there? Like I didn't know anything. So I'm just like freaking out. So I remember I called um, Pastor Carl and you know, I was crying on the phone and, and I was talking to Pastor Adam and he was laughing. He thought it was hilarious. He was like, ha, ha, ha. And I was like in the background and I was like, oh, I'm all by myself and they're knocking on. And he's like, it's okay. They deal with this kind of thing before. Don't worry. They'll be waiting for you. I mean, obviously I probably, I do stick out like a sore thumb over there. I don't think I realize that. <laughs> You know, but yeah, obviously they're going to be looking for me and they follow the flight. So he told me, don't worry, it's going to be fine. But I was so scared. And so I'm thinking once I get there, once I get there, it's going to be okay. No, I got there and I had massive anxiety. My heart felt like it was going to pound out of my chest. I remember driving in the taxi cab to their house. It's so dark because there's no electricity everywhere. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. The, the three months that we planned and Pastor Carl is smart. He gave me like an open-ended ticket. So he told me, hey, if you're there two weeks or whatever, you feel like you need to come back, it's okay. You just come back. You can change your flight. And so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do it two weeks. I could do two weeks. I could do this just two weeks, just two weeks. And I remember telling them, you know, okay, I'm just going to do two weeks, you know, and I come and I was talking to my dad about it. And he said, that's fine. And all of a sudden they were like, okay, we're going to go to Oda. We're going to go to this village. So they drive me to this village. Seriously. Like, I don't think you've seen blackness like that. And I'm not saying I'm talking about the, the darkness with no lights, please. <laughs> Please don't misunderstand that statement. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying blackness like, like you can't see your hand in front of your face, like in the villages. <laughs> you guys looked at me so bad right now, judging me, and that is not what I was saying. But anyways, so you've never seen it like that. I literally fell in a hole because I couldn't see the ground next to me. And they're like, oh, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I couldn't see any. I was falling all the time over there because in the nighttime, there's no... Like, and they don't always have flashlights. There's one flashlight, but one flashlight to lead you down a dark path. It's like ridiculous. So anyway, so I told them, okay, I can do this. So I get there to Oda, pitch black. It's like late at night, late, late at night. And I'm thinking, okay, what are we doing here? I'm gonna go to a church service, fine. And they're like, okay, they're all coming. And it was like 200 people that all met in this middle room in the light, one light in the middle of the village. And they're like, oh, okay, you're gonna preach. And I was like, what? I'm preaching? Like nobody told me that I'm preaching. I, 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 and I was like, oh my gosh. And they're all looking at me like expectant, excited and ready. And I was like, oh my gosh, I better figure something out. So I literally thought of a message that I had heard preached from one of our youth leaders. <laughs> and I just redid it. <laughs> Cause I was like, this is what's gonna have to happen. But you know what? The Lord used me that night, even in that simple message. And I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do this. But I found that um, when I was by myself and I was sitting around waiting, the anxiety would always come back. So I told him, hey, if I'm gonna do this, if I'm gonna stay here three months, you need to keep me busy. I don't wanna stop. I can't hang around. I don't wanna sit in these hotels for five hours. Book me up every single place that you can go. And I started praying and asking the Lord to put a message upon my heart. And he really did in Hosea. He really put a message upon my heart. And I went all around Africa ministering that. And I, I, in that point in my life, I kind of learned how to deal with anxiety, which is something that I never had felt before. For, um, the scripture that kind of came to my mind and I, I just repeated it over and over again was 1 Corinthians 4.13. It says, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
And the perfect peace that comes, I can totally just mess it up, but it will guard your hearts and minds as you trust in him. So that's kind of the scripture that just like over and over and over and over, every time I felt that anxiety come up and it was insane. I went all over Ghana preaching. There was one time I went to a high school, it was like 2000 students and I'm like up there ministering and praying for girls. And I just had to like step back and like, who the heck am I? I'm nobody. I am literally nobody, just some random little girl that decided to take a missions trip. But you know what? The truth of the matter is God uses nobodies all the time. This trip was a milestone in my life. It tested my faith in ways that I didn't know it needed testing. And I came back stronger with a new boldness that I had never had before. And I wanna encourage you today, don't be intimidated by the dreams and the challenges that God puts within your heart. If you feel unqualified, you probably are, <laughs> it's true, you probably are, but God uses the unqualified all the time for his glory, not yours. It's gonna be hard, and there's gonna be sacrifices in all areas to get there. Financially, I worked for a whole year when I was going to high school on the, all the weekends. Every night, I would go and I would work to pay for that trip, because I was there for three months, so it cost a lot of money, and my dad luckily helped me and supported me too, and you know, um, physically, I lived on Tiger's Milk Bars, which I will never touch again, because they're disgusting, rice and sweet bread. That's what I ate the whole time. And I was so, I thought I was like gaining weight there and I see pictures. Dude, I looked worse than like the poor little kids in Africa and the villages. I looked so skinny and scary. And my stomach was so jacked up when I got home. Mentally, you know, it was hard. There was a challenge, but you know what? You will come out stronger having faced whatever your own cliffs of insanity are. They aren't easy. They are not easy and everything does not always fall into place and they require, require sacrifice, but they are worth it. And the truth is, challenge is good for you. God has made us that way. We need to take on challenges. We need to tackle challenges because when you challenge yourself, it causes your faith to become stronger. And this builds endurance, which we all need to run the race that God has set before us. First Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says it best. You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs and one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard to the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No lazy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not gonna get caught napping, telling everyone else about it and then missing out myself. If your race isn't hard, I've got news for you. You might not be running the right race. We have to train hard. We've got to climb a few cliffs of insanity to, and they are good training grounds. Don't use difficulty as an excuse to back out of things that God has placed within your heart because oftentimes the reward lies within the challenge. Anyone who knows you, maybe they're gonna look at you kind of like they did at me and they're gonna say, oh my gosh, that crazy little girl's going to Africa and, or wherever, you know what I'm saying? They might look at you, whatever you're doing. Oh my gosh, they're starting a Bible study? Like, wow, like, oh my gosh, if they could do it, maybe I could do it too. That's what your cliffs of insanity do. Not only does it encourage you, it encourages others to try those hard things too because guess what? If I can do it, you guys can do it. I promise you that. So I'm gonna go ahead and summarize the movie up to the next scene because a lot happens before we cut into the next scene. So the man in the mask, he doesn't obviously see, doesn't fall down the cliff. He defeats the sword fighter, Indigo. They have like a cool sword fight. It's really awesome. Your boys will love it if you have kids. Then the giant, he has to face the giant with his strength and he puts the giant in a chokehold and he passes out. And then he defeats Vincini, that little guy who's yelling at everyone in a battle of wits and actually he dies. All to save the princess and reveal to her that guess what? 
her true love did not die. He's the man in the mask. She didn't know it. She had lots of conversations with him, but she still didn't figure it out. But once he takes off that mask and he tells her, as you wish, and they roll down this hill, she's like, Wesley. She dives off down a hill after him and she realizes, guess what? Her true love is alive. And at that point, they look up on the top of the hill and they have to run away from Prince Humperdinck into the fire swamp and into our next scene. All right. So he says, death first. Because he's a tough guy. But anyway, so they race into the fire swamp, right? And they've got to face all these perils. I kind of condensed this scene a little bit. You can see it was kind of cut. Just it was like seven minutes. But they face all these perils. Fire holes, quicksands, rodents of unusual size. The truth is we are all going to face the fire swamp in one season or another. But it's all about perspective, right? Princess Buttercup, what does she say? We will never succeed, we'll never survive. And then he says, nonsense. That's what Wesley says, nonsense. You're only saying that because no one ever has. You know, hey, we could build a nice summer home here. You know, hey, we've already made it through the quicksand, the fire holes. Hey, all we have left is the ROUSs. We will all face one fire swamp one time or another and the perspective we have is gonna make all the difference. We can look at it the way the princess does, right? We will never survive. She's got fear, trepidation, bitterness. You know, why would God allow this? Why would God allow me to go through these things? Anger or unforgiveness towards God or whatever else, whoever else you can put the blame on. Or you can choose the perspective of Wesley. He's positive. He's thankful to be alive and with the one that he loved. They actually kind of, the scene is longer. He's actually kind of rebuilding his relationship with her. He hasn't seen her for like five years because he was out making his fortune. So he's kind of telling her where he's been and what he's been doing and they're kind of just catching up. Sometimes in the midst of the fire swamp, I find myself kind of like Princess Buttercup. How are we ever gonna make it through this? How will we ever survive? But then I have to tell my brain, shut up. That's enough. Let's get into the word of God and remind myself what he says. Romans five, three through four says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confidence and hope of salvation. The fire swamp may seem like the worst place in the world, but it's where God does some of his best work within us if we allow him to. You know, Johnny and I have definitely went through our, our years in the fire swamp, and it seemed almost like trial after trial, and we get through one, it's like the waves. You know, you get caught in the ocean, and one wave comes over, and you get up for breath, and you're like, oh, it's done, and all of a sudden, another wave smacks you down. And it, we kind of went through a season like that. You know, Emma was just born. We were super excited. She was a wonderful baby. Um, fell head over heels for that little girl. And then all of a sudden, Johnny gets laid off, you know, and, and he had a really good job, a really good career, like he was headed in a good direction. And we're like, oh my gosh, okay, now what are we going to do? But you know what? The Lord provided. He provided, gave him a new job, and we just kept on going. When if, within a few short years, you know, we found out that we needed to put his dad, he, was, he was, um, didn't have a relationship with his dad, and we felt out, found out we had to put him in a, a rehab center, and um, he ended up passing away. We lost his dad, and then we also lost both my grandparents, you know, then my father, and then his mother. It was a difficult season of loss and heartache for both of us, and it seemed to be like one thing after another. But at the same time, there was joy. You know, we had both of our girls at the same time. We had just given birth to Emma, and then a few short years later, we had Lila. You know, I actually remember, it's funny because I'm looking at it right now. Um, that second row right there, right next to Pastor Carl, I remember my dad sitting there. And um, I was like six months pregnant with Lila. I was massive. And my dad was really sick. He had um, a CDs, and his stomach looked just like mine. And I remember him telling me, look, 
babe, we're twins. And we took a picture together and I just was like, oh man, you know, it was like, I had my dad here. He was so excited, you know, to meet Lila. Actually, when I gave birth to Lila, my dad was actually in the same hospital because he was really sick being treated for the disease that he had had. So it was hard, but at the same time, there was joy. I got to see my dad hold Lila, you know, and be so excited with her chubby little cheeks that kind of reminded me of my dad's. You know, it was, it was a good and a hard time at the same time. And because we chose to praise God through it all and keep him first in the good times and in the bad ones, he filled us with joy, even in the most difficult of seasons. I think we grew stronger together and I can really testify the Lord was with us through it all. He provided for every need, and with every loss of friends, uh, family and loved ones, he gave us friendships, beautiful friendships. I don't feel without, you know, like he's lost his mom, his dad. I, you know, I've lost my dad. And, and it's, I don't feel without because the Lord has provided so many like good, full relationships. People that love my children, that love on us, that encourage us. You know, every time that we have a need, the Lord provides in so many ways. Life is full of fire swamp seasons and they can make us or they can break us, but it all depends on where your foundation lies. And I remember um, Drew and Dave actually spoke about the same thing in Luke 6, 47 through 49. It says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds his house right on the ground or sand without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. If your foundation is built upon Jesus, you will come out stronger. Anyway, I mean, come on, who wants to watch a movie that goes perfect for all the characters, right? That would be so boring. Trials build character and they make us love the characters even more as they grow and overcome. And it's the same with us. We, we become more sensitive. When, when we allow God to use us and let us go through a few things, we become a little more compassionate, a little more understanding. And we're refined through the fire and we come out just a little bit better versions of ourselves. And sometimes the cliffs of insanity are gonna prepare you for those fire swamp seasons. That's why I say don't avoid difficult things because you need to face them because then there's times where difficult things are gonna come your way whether you like it or not and you've gotta be prepared. Trials build up our faith. They help us grow and as difficult as they are, we've got to trust the process because Jesus never promised his life to be easy but he did promise to be with us through it all and that's a promise we can hold on to. Faith means believing that God is good even when everything around us tells us he's not. Princess Buttercup, she kind of struggled believing her true love would come before the fire swamp. She had issues. She, she was literally sitting next to him, having full conversations with him, and she didn't even recognize that her true love was under the mask because you know she was kind of bitter inside that it was taken away from her. But then all of a sudden they go through the fire swamp and she's got faith to stand up to Prince, Prince Humperdinck. She tells him, my true love will always come for me. No matter what, death is not even gonna keep him from me. That's what she tells him. All of a sudden that fire swamp just kinda like built up her faith. And thankfully we serve a God who never stops fighting for us even when our faith is small. First Peter 1, six or seven says, I know how great this makes you feel. Even though you've put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime, pure gold put in the fire comes out proved pure. Genuine faith put through the suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps it all up, it's your faith, not your gold that will have on display as evidence of his victory. I don't know about you guys, but I wanna have that pure golden faith when I come out of the fire swamp. 
I want, I want people to look at my life and be like, man, you know, she's not perfect. Things weren't easy, but the Lord is working through her. He's building her. And I want him to, when I go to heaven, just be like, hey, good job. You did it. Good job. It wasn't easy, but you did it. So I'm going to go ahead and briefly summarize the next scene of this movie. So Wesley, at this part, he says, death first. So what happens is the princess goes and tells him, do you promise not to hurt him if you, if you don't hurt him? And so he says, yeah, I promise not to hurt him. But he pretty much takes him to this place called the pit of despair. Okay, and just a little side note, you know, we can come out of the fire swamp, um, we can come out stronger, or we can come out bitter. And I think when you go off on your own and you go by yourself and you're not around people that love you and that can encourage you, that's what's gonna happen. And that's where he ended up. He ended up at the pit of despair all by himself, all alone, and he actually almost died. So don't go there, all right? You may come out of the fire swamp looking like Wesley. You got a little battered shoulder, a couple bites from a, a rodent of unusual size on you. That's all right, but that's not the time to be alone. That's the time to be around people. So just encourage you there. But he comes out of the pit of despair. He almost ends up mostly dead. Then Indigo, the sword fighter, and Fezzik the giant clean up their wounds. So they, you know, they were defeated by the man in the mask and they realize all of a sudden, hey, he's got a good cause. Let's team up with him and let's help him save his one true love. So they find him and he's mostly dead. They take his mostly dead body to a miracle max for a potion to bring him back to life and bring him to the castle where we will find him in this next scene. I love this scene so much. I love it because it kind of reminds me of how we are when we first come to Christ and we come to the church, right? Wesley can only move his head, all right? He comes in there. He was mostly dead. He can only move his head. And his friends tell him, hey, no problem. We got this. They look over the gate. There's like 60 men. And they're like, hey, no problem. We got this. I don't know about you, but when I first came to Christ, I had nothing to offer, Nothing. I was a broken girl saved by the grace of God. And little by little, people came alongside me, encouraging me, pushing me to grow, telling me, I see something in you. You know, the Lord loves you. The Lord is going to use you. And all of a sudden, I began to believe that. They celebrated each victory, just like the giant tells them, hey, you moved your head. You should be so proud of yourself. Look at that. You just moved your pinky. I love it too when they say, with your brains, indigo's sword, and the giant's strength, we can take on this castle and we can rescue your true love. Wesley finds good friends in the most unlikely of places and they save him from the pit of despair. And then his mission becomes their mission and they team up to stop Humperdinck's wedding and help him rescue his true love. The truth is that God qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. Those guys before in the beginning of this movie, they were hired criminals, right? They were the villains. And all of a sudden now they're the heroes of the story. How many of us were kind of the villains you know, at some point in our life. And then all of a sudden God takes us in and he changes it all. Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy. He says, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 14, I'm so grateful to Christ Jesus for making me adequate to do his work. He went out on a limb, you know, entrusting me with this ministry. The only credentials I brought to it were violence and witch hunts and arrogance, but I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know who I was doing it against. Grace mixed with faith and love poured over me and into me, and it's all because of Jesus. None of us come to Christ qualified. We come with all sorts of issues, right? All sorts of problems. And then the church comes alongside us and together all the parts become one whole body. I love this because it's a beautiful picture of how God intended the church to be. 
We take in some of the most interesting characters, right? God does a work on their lives and then his mission becomes our mission. The successes in the body of Christ are all shared as are the trials, as are the tribulations. We become one, strengthened in numbers, each bringing a different gift to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 27 explains it. So God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. That makes for harmony among the members so all the members care for each other. If one part suffers all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Just like Wesley is stronger with his friends, we are stronger together. That's why one of our things we say all the time around here, we say together, together, because you know what? God did not intend for us to do life alone. Find your people in here and don't expect perfect people because that's not how it was in this movie. The giant, he wasn't the smartest guy, right? But he had a gentle soul. Find your people and see the good in them. See the good and encourage them because that's what happened to me. I didn't have much to offer when I first came along, but I had people that loved me. Carrie was huge in my life. I remember coming to the altar and she just told me, I see you trying. I see you trying to live for the Lord. Keep going, don't give up. And those little tiny words of encouragement, they built my faith. So find your people, see the good in them and speak life over them and see if God doesn't do a work in them through you. Indigo struggles with unforgiveness, right? He was a drunk. If you, you missed the whole scene, but he's a drunk and his friend actually takes him and he ducks his head in a barrel of water over and over again. He feeds him, he nurses him back to life and he helps him overcome an issue that he had. You know, he also had an issue with unforgiveness. You know, he's the whole movie, he's trying to find the guy with the six-fingered man so he can kill him because he killed his father. We have to love people where they are at. That doesn't mean that we ignore their issues, but we kindly guide them in the right direction and together we grow because together we are made stronger. Proverbs 17, 17 says, friends love through all kinds of weather and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. John 15, 11 through 12 says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. God's love is not conditional and neither should ours be, especially when it comes to the body of Christ. So I have a spoiler alert for any of the movie. Wesley and his friends, even though it seems impossible, they storm the castle, they defeat an army, and they ride off into the sunset with a princess. Him and his new friends and the princess ride off on white horses into the sunset like you should in every good 80s movie, and they live happily ever after. But you know what? I have a spoiler alert for us too, is that guess what? We win too. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57 says it perfectly. Let me tell you something wonderful, a mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You'll hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet. And the time you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will come up out of their graves and be on the reach of death, never to die again. And at the same moment, in the same way, we'll all be changed. In this resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. The mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true, death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power, but now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, all gone, the gift of our master, Jesus Christ, thank God. You know, when you build your life around Jesus, one way or another, you're gonna win. This is our happy ever after. 
for eternity, not just for a movie, for, the, for forever. I've been reading this book, it's really good actually. It's called Imagine Heaven. And it's about a bunch of people who had like near death experiences. And so they're kind of telling, and it's neat because they're all telling almost similar things. And so they're talking about they had died and seen a glimpse of heaven and they're describing kind of the things that they've seen. And it's amazing. I would encourage anyone to read it. It's amazing because you just think about the greatest joy that you've ever felt on this earth, the greatest love, your best day, isn't even a drop in the bucket of what it's gonna be like in heaven. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. I, I can't even imagine. And that's why I love it, because it's just, it's almost unimaginable. But that's what awaits for those who love Him. When you have Christ, when He is the center of your life, when you build your life upon Him, no matter what you go through, no matter what this life holds, we know what future awaits us. And there's peace in that, right? There's comfort in that. And I wanna encourage you this morning, your life is the story that people need to hear. Adventure inspires others to dare to dream that, hey, if God can use them, He can use me too. If they can find true love in Christ, maybe I can too. If they can overcome these trials and these difficulties, then you know what? Maybe God can do it for me too. And with that, I just, I want everyone to close their eyes because I don't want to leave this morning without offering the gift of salvation to anyone who needs it here today. If you're in this place and maybe you're like me, like I was, you know, you've heard that Jesus loves you. You've heard the call of salvation many, many times. Maybe you've been to church, maybe you haven't, but all of a sudden in your heart of hearts, you know that this true love is real, that God loves you, that he's called you and he wants to save you. If that's you this morning, I wanna pray with you. If you could just raise your hand, if there's anyone today, I'd like you to come up here and I will pray with you this morning.